Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, August 7th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Luck. Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Vince Lombardi believed it. Many a hard-edged military man subscribes to that idea, too. So, too, I must imagine, does Mr. Ali Jafar of Watertown, Massachusetts. So far in 2017, he has claimed 936 prizes in the Massachusetts lottery, an average of more than four wins a day, totaling one million. $322,000. On July 31st alone, a banner day for Mr. Jafar. He claimed 18 prizes, 15 from winning tickets, three from Kino, and they were worth just under $20,000. Jafar is slightly ahead of Frank Obie of Lynn. He has 609 winners in 2017, netting him a little over a million dollars. Now, the Boston Globe is doing an investigation into, I guess, the luckiest guys in Massachusetts. But it turns out it might not just be luck. Turns out that there are some people who will cash your tickets for you. Maybe you're not a citizen, or maybe you don't want to alert the authorities that you've been skipping out on child support, something like that. The true winner doesn't want it known. So for a fee, Mr. Jafar, Mr. Obi, the allegations go, we'll cash your tickets. Ali Jafar did not want to talk to the globe. I mean, why mess with a hot streak, I say. But there are other explanations For Ali Jafar's success, he could be an extremely high volume player, right? We don't know how much he's losing. We just know how much the guy is winning. I mean, maybe he's even evolved to the place where he's the perfect scratch-off lottery player, because that's what we're talking about here. In Massachusetts, they call him scratches. Maybe maybe he has quarters for fingernails and nickels for knuckles. Maybe he's uh, the Edward scratch-off hands of this particular game. But you would say, being so lucky, if that is indeed the case, that would be so great. But think about how much it screws with you to be so good at the lottery. What a curse it becomes. Like when you hear on the news someone talking about being struck by lightning, and they, they will say, oh, don't worry, you're more likely to win the lottery than get hit by lightning. Or, you're more likely to win the lottery than to be a victim in any way of domestic terrorism. To Ali Jafar, this must freak him out. Oh, man. Or when they say, you know, you're, you're so much more likely to win the lottery than to be the victim of a flesh-eating bacteria. Ali Jafar's like, oh, my God, I won four times yesterday. My face, my be- forget my face, my hands, my wondrous nickel-knuckled hands. On the show today, I spiel about the Dow. In fact, I dog the Dow. But first, it is my first, I believe it is my first proper interview with a game show host. It is a show that I love. It is called Divided, part trivia, but mostly psychological experiment. And the games keeper is here for secrets and psychological ploys. Mike Richards, in addition to being the host of Divided, is a game show veteran. He's the executive producer of The Price is Right and Let's Make a Deal. He is a uniter, not a divider, but for our purposes, he is Mike Richards, host of the game show Networks Divided.
The Defender is a beautiful car, but beauty is, of course, sometimes only skin deep. Not with the Defender. Let's talk about the interior. It's robust, built with integrity. Yes, it's designed iconically, the exterior. That's what compelled me. My, my neighbor Jay says, Mike, you see what's on the block? It's a Defender. And I look down the block, and indeed there is. And me and Jay the neighbor and Michelle, we gather around the Defender. We peer in the window. I have to say... I don't want to make this a little too tawdry, but we lust, or perhaps we quell. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. We looked at the cargo capacity, more room for the gear. There's really a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com slash Defender. Here are the rules. You'll have 60 seconds to answer each question unanimously. But as the clock ticks down, so will your cash. Decide carefully because every wrong answer cuts your bank in half. Oh, and by the way, none of you are guaranteed to take home the money. One of you will be eliminated. So remember, you're playing for yourselves. Everybody ready? It's yeah. time to play Divided. <laughs> Divided is a show on the Game Show Network that I came across one day and started watching with my son, and we were delighted. So here's how the game works. There are four contestants, and they're given a trivia question with multiple choices. So think of it this way. You're on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with a team of three other people. But everyone has to agree or else the answer doesn't count. And as the team debates what the right answer may be, money and time is ticking away. So an answer agreed upon immediately might be worth $5,000, but after dickering for half a minute, it might only be worth $500. Oh, there are so many other psychological components to this, like someone gets voted out, and at the end of the whole show, the total prize pool is divided based on a debate between the remaining contestants. Again, it seems like a game show, it's really a psychological experiment, and the host of this endeavor is Mike Richards, who's here with me now. Hello, Mike. Hi there, how are you? I'm well. So this show, yeah. this was a show in England first? Yeah, it, w- it, it was an international format that had gone around uh, the world, and it, it did very well in England and ended up on GSN. So I'm sure you realize that there are a lot of things on this show that more than mirror, almost duplicate actual psychology experiments. Like uh, there is this experiment where two people are given a pool of money. One gets to divide it and the other one can accept or reject. And it's fascinating what divisions get rejected and what get accepted. And that goes on on your show. Exactly. It's a game show because there's money and that's what creates the, the stakes which would be difficult to create otherwise to get people to be that intense about it. But ultimately it is more of a social experiment and trying to figure out and watch how people react in that situation. And I will tell you this, having done 105 of them, they never react the way you think they are going to. Now, when you started uh, by the tail end of the season, did the contestants on the show, had they watched the show already? Did they know the dynamic essentially? Yeah, so we're heading, we are, we have now, we are premiering season two. So now everyone that came on in season two had seen the show Mm -hmm. many, many times. So they were, they were able to, to prepare and you would think that would make them better at the game in that, Hey, let's not irritate someone. Let me not push someone's buttons. If I do know the answer, I'm going to step forward. If I, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to lay back. You know, there's all kinds of strategy in this game. 
but ultimately you get into that moment and your natural way of dealing with things takes over. Here's the first question. According to the U.S. Census, most adult Americans have gotten married how many times? A, never, B, twice or more, or C, once. Your clock starts now. I say B because I'm the second wife. I'm the upgrade. I don't know about that, but I know people get divorced all the time. We have divorces high in our country. Let's go. Okay. Do you think the best contestant on this show is the smartest contestant, the boldest contestant, you know, the one who kind of yells the most or takes control, the contestant who's the best at uh, manipulating the other contestants? What are the keys to be a champion in Divided? I think manipulating the other contestants is right up there. Being confident in your answer when you know you're right or you think that you're right. And then apologizing if you got it wrong, but not accepting blame. So there's a a lot of deflection. There's a lot of, I'm going to absorb that one, but then I'm going to help you get the next one right. One of the most fascinating things that the uh, British version that you alluded to earlier doesn't have is a takeover. So in front of all of the contestants, there's a red button. If they hit it, that stops the clock, that stops your team from losing money, and that locks in your answer for everyone even if everyone else at the table disagrees. Yeah. And if you want to be a champion at Divided, the quickest, easiest, most sure way is to use one takeover in a really good moment and bank money for your team. Right. And then they credit you and then they say, not only were you bold, you were right. But you know what's funny? I have seen people use the takeover, get it wrong. So essentially become George H.W. Bush and say, read my lips, no new taxes. And then you raise taxes and not get punished for it. Somehow they're able to argue out of the fact that they totally screwed up. And they usually say, and I find this amazing, well, you know what? I was confident. And it seems to me that on Divided, and this is a, another psychological experiment that they've replicated in the lab that you show on your show, being confident and wrong is often better than being meek and right. That, yeah, I, I, and I think that's a reflection on where we are. People are looking for confidence, yeah. and the loudest and the most confident, right or wrong, is going to at least make it past the elimination. There's an elimination on our show halfway through the show. And that's what, I mean, you, you watch people and you go, that person hasn't gotten one right. I wouldn't, I would no more keep that person on my team than the man in the moon. And you'll watch me on the show go, wait, what? You couldn't possibly want to keep that guy on. Yeah. And they do. At the end of the show, there are three contestants left and they split the total prize money and it's predetermined. One player gets 60%, one player gets 30% and one player gets 10%. Now. I have seen this strategy happen a couple of times. Someone immediately says, I'm taking the most and I'm never changing. And psychologists and game theorists, they would talk about this as the game of chicken where you chain yourself to the steering wheel. And if your opponents think there is no chance you are going to swerve, it's a viable strategy. Does that often work saying, I'm taking the most, that's it, and I'm walking away? If the person has helped in the game yeah. so that they're not the weakest player. Oftentimes that person that says that at the end of the game has also been the, the one we were talking about, the confident one, slightly domineering. Yeah. And if they've gotten a cup, help the team get a couple of answers, right. And bank money along the way that works where it doesn't work 
is that person did nothing, yeah. missed every question, used the takeover and lost. And then they go, I should take the most because I was here and I tried real hard and I'm not taking anything less. And they step away from the table and the other two lose their minds because there's that human nature moment where you go, you know what? I'd rather have nothing yeah. than reward you for your idiocy. Yeah. And that is the experiment where two people are given a hundred dollars. And if the split is something like 90, 10 or 85, 15, and logically one person walked into a room and could walk out with 15 bucks that you should take that. People will never take that. Correct. And the interesting thing about the game also has been no one wants to take the least amount. It is a game, especially at the end of self-awareness. And it is amazing how self-unaware people are because you get to the end and you go, you haven't done one, literally one thing. But because they were there, they go, there's no way I'm taking the least amount. I continued to stand on both of my feet. I never passed out once. (laughs) Therefore, I deserve absolutely unequivocally to not take the least amount. That is the most fascinating thing. I'll tell you the, the other thing that's very fascinating is the people who surprise you and go, I can tell these two are going to sit and scream at each other. I, I answered the most correct. Yeah. I am the smartest person here. I'm also the most rational person here, and I'll take the least. There were a couple shows that I thought were interesting. One was, I'm sure you remember it. Do you remember the guy who was a cook who used a couple successful takeovers? At the end, he voted himself the most money, and he did that strategy of, I'm taking the most, and everyone just kind of acquiesced. Now, to me, that guy embodied the definition of leadership on your show. And then there was another guy who was a cage fighter. You must remember this guy, who insulted the other, there were three other women on the panel, and and he called one of them some purple nightmare, and he did the same thing at the end. He said, I'm taking the most, and that was a show where that was so outrageous to everyone that I believe everyone wound up with zero dollars. They walked away with nothing. (laughs) Now, your winnings have been divided into three unequal amounts. 60%, 30%, and 10%. Now, you must agree on who gets what, but just like everything else in this game, as the clock goes down, so too does your money. I'm gonna give you 100 seconds. You ready? Yeah. All right, your clock starts now. Guys, I'm going for A. I've been the strongest on the past two answers where we made money. I was the first one answering. I think you led us completely astray on the takeover. Absolutely. One takeover has nothing to do with the rest of the game. I walked in here with no money. I'll leave with no money. I'm leaving with the most money or nothing at all. Absolutely not. Go ahead and take C because you've been the weakest player since you've been here. I have answered the questions. I have argued. I've spoken first. If anybody deserves it, it's me and the big purple mess over here. I'm sorry. Now he gets the least, 100%. All compromise to give her the most for that. Not going to happen. I'm going home with A. I wish America could vote, Kevin. (laughs) Money's going down. He was a jerk the entire time. He was insulting women the entire time. I mean, some of the stuff wasn't fit to air. But it does go to he was very strong, very forceful, very confident, and and actually very well-spoken. Right, and- right, right. He had all these he had all these qualities of like a tin pot dictator or someone who was playing the role of a strong leader or a reality show slash cartoon version of a strong leader. Right. So I want to ask you about the gender dynamics. I haven't seen all the uh, shows in season one. I just saw uh, what was on demand uh, on my cable provider. I don't think I saw in the final round if there was... Uh, uh, one man and one woman. I don't think I saw 
a woman immediately saying, I'm taking more money. I saw a woman have the most money. I saw women walk away with more money than men. But I never saw the woman immediately go, I'm taking the most, and a man immediately say, yeah, that's fair. I mean, there are some interesting gender dynamics there, and I think that was one of the things I don't think I saw. Did that happen? I'm sure it happened. Yeah. It is for sure not the norm. The gender dynamics on this show are just fascinating. Yeah, how do they usually play out in the final round? I don't think it's a, hey, men are forcing their will. I think women, even strong-willed, very smart, very successful, because we have that. that's who comes on our show. It's not... You know, it's not a bottom of the barrel type right. thing because it's a, you're trying to answer trivia. So you've got to be smart, to be honest. It, it's interesting that they tend to be the most logical and rational in that moment of crisis, which is at the which is the end when we've divided up the money and time is going by and therefore they're losing money. They tend to be the most rational. So they'll come out and say, no, I deserve A. And I answered every single question right. And you guys didn't help at all. And the other ones will go, no, I deserve A. And you'll see them just go, you know what? I'll take B, you take C, let's all get out of here. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I have seen I have seen women be really strong on the show, but usually <laughs> they're not the best players. There are, you know, a lot of players are self-deluded. But I think on episodes I saw where a woman was like, I'm definitely taking the most, she wasn't the best player. Right, as opposed to the person that actually deserved the yeah. most. But I don't think that that has anything to do with gender because, as I mentioned, no one thinks that they are below average. Yeah. Ask anyone and go, do you think you're below average? No. Well, okay, bad news. 50% of us are below average. In terms of uh, being in the last round, the people who finally, in order to split the pot, someone has to take only 10% of the pot. Is that right. person, who is that person usually? The worst player, the meekest player, the most rational player who figures if I don't take C, we're never getting out of there. It's definitely not usually the most rational player. Yeah. Because that person goes, wait, I deserve B. This is this is an injustice. It is usually the meekest. Mm -hmm. It's usually the one that get there. There's usually two people that team up to do the best job and to answer the questions along the way to bank the most money that then turn on that person and go you were the you were the weakest you know you are yeah and if they're someone who isn't a screamer who goes no i deserve the most then that's the person that usually goes i'll take c because we're losing money i mean yeah. that you can't minimize the fact when you're out there and it, and i and i know it plays on tv very well but when you are physically there and you say there's $38,000 up there or $15,000 and you watch it go down, you feel the money leaving the room. Yeah. It is a really pressure-filled dynamic because you're dealing in a crisis. We've created a crisis for them. Yes. And they have to get their point across and they have to be concise and and that's those are usually things that are at odds. You uh, not only host this show, but you're the executive producer of The Price is Right and what else? And let's make a deal. Yeah, heard of it. I'm yeah. going to guess that when you go backstage after this show, you are always talking to your staff about, can you believe what happened? And I'm going to guess that probably happens less on The Price is Right. You know, you would be surprised. <laughs> really? It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of, can you believe what just happened? Yeah. It's like more- Like chips all hit 5,000, that sort of thing? <laughs> it's more, it's more, how did that, we we had a couple, we, we're taping right now, and and- we had a couple this week where the person could not have played the game worse. 
I'm not sure totally understood what was even happening <laughs> and still won a car. Yeah. And that is the only on Price is Right. Could you make every wrong answer, every wrong decision, not really understand what's happening and go, oh, I just want a $25,000 car. But on Price, we more are reacting to the, the, the freak outs, their, their reactions. The win moments are so fun and so genuine. It's like the one place where you're allowed to just lose your mind and celebrate. It's, you know, I watch the NFL has got all the rules about celebration and they're easing them up yeah. you know, to let the players celebrate a touchdown or whatever. Price is Right gives regular people the, the ability to do their touchdown dance any way they want at whatever level they want. And those are the things we end up laughing about and talking about. Uh, Mike Richards is the host of Divided on the Game Show Network. I thought it was a good interview. You know what? I'm going to take 60% and give you 40%, but just know I thought you did a good job. No, there's no way I'm taking less than I'd like. I, I think you deserve I 40%. Uh, I had the better mic. I, you, okay, your mic was better. Mic, but I, I was confident. I was pretty confident. I, I really thought I led. I thought I answered all the questions. <sighs> losing, and, and then Mike, we're losing money. Them. Fine, I'll lock in at 40. I'll take 40. <laughs> Thanks. That was really fun. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Mike. Good to meet you. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. And now the spiel. Donald Trump likes some things, likes hugging flags, likes coal miners, beautiful pieces of cake, the military. He usually calls these things the best, the greatest, terrific. But there is one area where he revels in the average, and that is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Here are some of his tweets. July 15th, just got to the hashtag US Women's Open in Bedminster, New Jersey. Uh, he owns that. People are really happy with record stock market up over 17% since election. July 20th, U.S. stock market up almost 20% since election. July 31st, highest stock market ever. And then just a couple days ago, this is how he let off his presidential weekly address. My fellow Americans, as we celebrate American Dream Week at the White House, we continue to see incredible results. This week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average reached an all-time high. Never, ever has it been so high. An all-time high. Wait, please clarify. Never has it been so high. Meaning, highest ever. Come again? Most highly. Okay, now we got it. It's high. It's really high. Now, my problem with this brag on the part of Trump is a little different from what you might hear in other coverage. Elsewhere, it will be pointed out that Donald Trump is capitalizing on macroeconomic trends that were set in motion far before his presidency. Uh, some will credit Obama. Others will say, well, it's a cyclical nature of business. You also might hear that other economic indicators aren't as strong as the Dow Jones. And the gains of the stock market really help the elites more than the common citizen. And also that much of the run-up has been the expectations of big corporations for a tax holiday that the president may still screw up. 
All this stuff is true. But I say give Trump credit. For what it's worth, Wall Street types are optimistic that their profits will go up under Trump. And not only Wall Street types, golf enthusiasts who attend events at Trump facilities. Those two wildly disparate groups. My problem is not that he's taking credit for something he shouldn't take credit for. My problem is more embodied in this tweet of about a week ago. Stock market could hit all-time high again, 22,000 today. It was only 18,000 six months ago on election day. Mainstream media seldom mentions. Huh? The mainstream media always mentions the Dow. Every newscast will tell you if the Dow went up or down. You might not care, but they're telling you what the Dow did. And that is my problem. It's that the Dow sucks. It's an old idea from an era of pencils, and it's clearly inferior to other stock indices out there. It's not the Dow's fault. The Dow was invented in the late 1800s. It was very cutting edge. I mean, just the idea of having a stock average was really ahead of its time. Just like at one juncture, cotton gins were ahead of their time. But the technology has since been updated. Not so with the Dow. Now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is 30 stocks. 30 stocks are in it. The S&P 500 is, you want to guess how many? Yeah, it's 500. The sheer number of stocks gives you a clue as to which one is more representative. But it's not just that there are only 30 stocks in the Dow. Maybe you could get a really representative 30. Uh, They didn't. It's not horrible. They just didn't really try so hard for that. They didn't go for the most bellwether stocks if there is such a thing. They didn't even go for the stocks that just represent the biggest, the largest slices of the economy. The Dow is a decrepit old man's idea of a robust economy. The biggest company in America is Apple, and it's in the Dow. But then, if you look at the next biggest companies by market cap, which is less fancifully how much money they're worth, you got Alphabet, which is what they call Google now, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and the Alibaba Group. None are represented in the Dow. When you hit the eighth biggest company, you find another Dow component, Johnson & Johnson. Of course, Johnson & Johnson is in there. Decrepit old man knows Ben Gay, Mylanta, and Rolades. But it's not just which companies the Dow counts. It's how they count them. They don't count all the companies equally. And their system of counting is based on nothing except that when it was invented, we only had pencils. Okay. The S&P 500, that's a stock index calculated in the age of calculators. Most stock indices are. The Dow is pencil So all that matters with the Dow is the price of the stock, if it goes up by a dollar. Now, even a financially unsophisticated person can tell you that a $100 thing going up by a dollar, that's one thing, it's 1%. But a $20 thing going up by a dollar is something else entirely. It's five times something else. So what this all means is stocks with a higher price that start off having a higher price are more important to the Dow. Let me give you an example. Right now, Boeing's worth about 240 bucks. Procter & Gamble sells for about 90 bucks. Procter & Gamble happens to be the most valuable company, but it does have the lower stock price in dollars and cents. So let's say you plow a million dollars into each. Yes, I just allowed you to invest a million. You've affected the economy equally. Any other index calculated in the age of calculators, every other index would be equally changed by your million dollars in stock A or stock B. But with the Dow, the dowdy old Dow, your investment in Boeing makes the index go up more, a lot more than the same investment in Procter & Gamble. And this gets to Amazon. Heard of Amazon? Yeah, they're the number one retailer in America, soon maybe the only retailer in America, but they're not in the Dow. Why not? Let's CNBC explain. 
first at a, nearly $1,000 a share. It's nearly four times the price of the currently highest price stock in the Dow. That's Goldman Sachs. It's 36 times the lowest GE. Now, since the Dow is calculated based on price, Amazon's sky-high price would throw the index all out of whack. The stock price is too high. It would throw the Dow out of whack. I'll tell you what's out of whack. This entire 19th century invention called the Dow. Now is the time where I tell you that if Trump relied on a more accurate index, his numbers wouldn't sound nearly as good. That's true, but only by a little bit. The Dow has gone up 12% year to date. S&P has gone up like 10.7%. Generally, stocks march along together. It's actually probably hard to invent an index that doesn't, by and large, as long as the index is pretty diversified, that doesn't look like the market as a whole. But by the market, can we stop meaning the Dow? Let's just take the S&P. And don't get me started on the Russell 2000. The media, in summary, does in fact tell you a lot about the Dow. Too much. The Dow is a notion bought into by the kind of person who thinks coal mines define the economy, bomb size defines military might, and calling another man's wife very physically attractive counts as being a great champion of women. That kind of guy. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson won the genetic lottery. No, wait, I read that wrong. She won a generic lottery. She got one scratch-off ticket, which she promptly surrendered to Ali Jafar. Chris Berube, just producer, not here today, will be voted off the team in absentia. He was confident in his answers, but he didn't correctly use all his takeovers. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, would like to note that in today's trading, advancers led declines. Yes, that is what advancers do. They advance. The gist. I have one piece of scratch-off advice. Use a quarter, not a nickel. Serrated edges saves time. When you're scratching 400 tickets a day, Ali Jafar, you'll thank me. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>